All right, so Exodus 24, verse 1. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. So you see how he separated that? Then the words of the Lord, and then we have the rules. So as I've studied that and looked at it, it sounds like the words of the Lord are the Ten Commandments, and then the rules is everything we went over last week. So all the different judgments and things from the Book of the Covenant that we read through. Verse 3, uh, middle of verse 3 then. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They're very optimistic. <laughs> we will do them. Yes, we will. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. And the cool thing is, we still have them. Like, here it is. This is what he wrote down. I love that. Then it says, he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. Now, this altar, we didn't really talk about at the end of the Ten Commandments, there was instructions for the altars of earth or the earthen altars. And I'm, hopefully you guys got that in your homework. If not, you can go back and do it in your homework. But they weren't to have these tall, elaborate altars because those would have been like pagan shrines. So more than likely, this was exactly what God had just told Moses a little bit ago, an altar of earth of some sort. Um, build that, and that's what you're going to put my sacrifices on. So we probably built an altar of earth at the foot of the mountain. And then it has, there's 12 pillars. We don't know what that looked like, but each one represented one of the tribes of Israel. Verse 5. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Now these young men uh, were, we don't know, but very well could have been like the firstborn. You know, he's instructed for the firstborn to be set apart. So now the firstborn might be getting to do some very special privileges here um, in this ceremony. So the firstborn offer burnt offerings, maybe, I'm just saying that, but young men, they offer the burnt offerings and they sacrifice the peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. Verse 6, and Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took, and this is where we get the name of it, the book of the covenant. So there, that's where that name comes from, of saying all of this is called the book of the covenant. And read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. So the first time they agreed to it, Moses is saying, hey, will you guys agree to all this? Yes. The second time they're agreeing to it is actually in the middle of the ceremony. So what he's been describing, the sacrifices have taken place. Um, he reads again the Book of the Covenant. He has the blood in half of it in basins and half of it he throws on the altar then he asked the people in the ceremony will you agree to obey the lord yes we will and then verse 8 is a very important verse and moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said behold the blood of the covenant that the lord has made with you in accordance with all these words so we'll come back to that the blood of the covenant 
Um, but now you have an altar covered in blood and you have a people sprinkled in blood. That sounds pretty important, right? From what we know of even how we're saved through the blood of Christ. Verse 9. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. So they beheld God and basically had communion. They ate and drank in God's presence. They communed with God. Did the lights just go out up there? Maybe they turned the lights off. Probably lights are out. Hmm. Okay. Should we turn it back on? <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, well. Hi, guys. <laughs> it's going to be scary when we go out there. <laughs> anyway, that was perfect timing. I got that and the lights go off. Okay. Whew. Now, if you guys did your homework, it's okay. If you didn't, this week you probably already know the spiritual picture that I think develops from this chapter. It's a really cool picture when you actually like take the eagle's eye approach and you look at what's going on in this chapter. What we have is really a summary of God's hope for humanity. This is God's hope for his people, okay? If you want to think about it that way. There's a sequence that occurs here that would be God's hope for everyone. He wants everyone to come to faith, right? He wants everyone to come to him, to believe his word and agree to a covenant relationship and come to him. So you get, if you're looking like the bird's eye view, you're going to get God's hope for humanity. So let me see if I can help you make sense of this. So first, you get God's pursuit of his people. All of this is his idea. All of it is his words. They've done nothing. It's all been, do you need a pen, Christian? Is it working? Yeah. I have pens. <laughs> I just used it. So I don't know why it's so Here's more. Look, I even have things. I could loan you the pink pen that I gave your husband on Sunday. Oh, yeah. Here's a pen. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so first you have God's pursuit of his people and his willingness to even make a covenant, even come up with the idea with sinful humanity. Humanity hasn't gotten any better. That's not why he decided to come into a covenant relationship with them. We've always been sinful. It's just, it's simply his love and his pursuit. That's the first thing you see. Second, then you get the hearing of God's word. So God spoke it and the people heard it. Well, we also have a mediator who we know is Moses, but representative of Christ, speaking it, right? So you get God's word spoken and them hearing it. Third, then you get the receiving of God's word. And this is where it breaks down because some people don't receive it. But God's hope for all of humanity is that they will hear it and that they will receive it. And the people do hear. They do receive it, even though we know there is no way they're going to obey and we know it's all going to go wrong they do receive god's word okay the fourth thing you get then is the sealing of it you get the sealing of this covenant through the blood so the people have received it they've agreed to it 
And so there is a sealing of this commitment from both parties, and it is sealed with the blood of the covenant. So then what do you get? Well, as a result, you get the privilege of fellowshipping with God. That's the result, the amazing result we see. They agree to a covenant relationship, and the next thing we know, there's 74 men, at least, that's how many we know, of fellowshipping in God's presence. That's a beautiful picture of God's hope for all of humanity, to enter into a covenant relationship with him so that they can come into his presence and fellowship with him. Does that make sense? What's going through your mind so far? Any thoughts? You guys see the progression here? Okay. And this would be every Christian story. Anyone who has heard and received the word of God has entered into a covenant relationship with the Lord, and so they have been welcomed into God's presence to have fellowship with them. Does that make sense? You see that progression right here in this, in this picture, what we just read? Okay. So yes, even though this is the ratification of the Mosaic Covenant, that's in which the people agreed to obey everything, it's also so much more. It's also a foreshadowing then of the new covenant that we have in Christ. And because of that new covenant that we have in Christ, it's a foreshadowing of the immediate access we gain to God as a result of that. So these men, you see how they got to, they were, how did they, why all of a sudden, you know, like, we talked um, a couple weeks ago about how it's like when we talked about God's holiness, no one was allowed to even touch the mountain, like don't even get close. So what has made the difference? Like now all of a sudden they're allowed to go up on the mountain. And, and it's even noted in the chapter uh, that God does not lay a hand on the men. Like Moses is very specific in saying that in verse 11. He did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. And they got to behold God and eat and drink in his presence. So what's made the difference? Why can they do this now and they couldn't do it before? It's the covenant. It's the covenant. That's exactly. And holiness. Yep. Mm -hmm. Because in that covenant relationship, we are declared holy. Mm -hmm. So you're exactly right. Yes, it's the covenant. They were able, because the last time we think about it, Moses also offered some sort of sacrifices on behalf of the people when God was going to show up. Like in preparation, he offered sacrifices in chapter 19. And sacrifices were offered here too, but it wasn't that. It was the covenant relationship that, which pictures Christ, that enabled these men to come into God's presence and fellowship with him. I think that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. You stop and kind of think through all of that. They entered on the basis of a covenant relationship and it's very clearly a covenant established by blood which Moses makes clear in verse 8 behold the blood of the covenant the blood of so it's all about so they have blood on them yes that's just I mean can you imagine standing there and having that blood splatter on you what they were thinking I know or like the basins of blood because how many people were there that yeah. yes and so how and they get it on everybody. I mean, right, I know. And how many sacrifices would there have had to have been? And how long did that take? And how much blood? And how much blood? Can you imagine if we did that today? Like everyone would call us 
about it I feel a little weird sometimes like if an unbeliever walked in and we're like it's all about the blood you know like you're talking about sacrifice and the blood of the covenant they'd be like what are you people talking about like it's so when I read that I think sprinkle and then the other like I think yours said they poured it on them all mm-hmm. I can think about the movie Carrie when they dumped the blood on yeah. her on stage oh, and like Jesus George it's like the visual I got of like everybody covered in blood yeah <laughs> You could not have been, like, maybe people were, but, like, grossed out by blood back then. So I feel like there was just a lot of blood. Yes. Mm-hmm. They were all the time sacrificing animals. So yeah. it's something that they were just used to. Yeah, all the time. Which makes me thankful. We stop thinking about the Lord's very kind. Blood does come out of clothes. Like, usually. I mean, my kids get bloody noses or, like, I can get that out of clothes. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of other things that I can't get out of their clothes. But I don't usually have any trouble with blood. I'm very kind of the Lord. Thank you. <laughs> I think that's also why they had specific animals, too. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't animals whose blood wouldn't like harm you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I've never thought about that before. Mm-hmm. There's his kindness again. He's so kind. <laughs> I love it, guys. I love it. Okay, so if you thought, think about the blood of the covenant, we're going to have a Sunday school answer because we usually do. Mm-hmm. What does that remind you of? Jesus. Jesus. We have to have it every week. I even wrote it in here. The Sunday school answer. Jesus. Jesus said to the disciples in Luke twenty two twenty, this cup, and they're in the middle of the Passover. It's Luke twenty two twenty, where he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So he's very clear. This is another covenant of blood, which is poured out for you, he says. This is the new covenant in my blood. So it's another covenant relationship that we enter into when we come to Christ. And again, it is a covenant of blood, just like it was here in the Mosaic covenant. So the new covenant in Christ though, is exceedingly superior than the old covenant because it's God's own blood. So it doesn't even come close to the blood of calves and goats, which if you read through Hebrews is really what Hebrews is all about. So Christ's blood is superior. His um, high priesthood is superior. His sacrifice is superior. Like, if you read through Hebrews, that's the focus, is the superiority of Christ through all of that and this new covenant that we have. So in the Last Supper then, in Luke twenty two twenty, 20, where he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, Jesus is making it very clear at the Last Supper that we still come to God on the basis of a covenant relationship. We enter into a covenant relationship with him when we come to Christ. Only this time, it has nothing to do with our obedience and everything to do with his obedience. So that's the big difference. Mm -hmm. It's his blood instead of the blood of calves and goats. And it's his obedience instead of Israel's obedience. So am I correct? Are there any other two main differences? Those are big ones I can think of. So it's still a covenant relationship, but it's his blood and it's his obedience. That's huge. What a sure foundation, right? I mean, 
It was shaky ground that Israel is entering into a relationship with God through their own obedience. They don't realize that at the time. They're pretty positive that they're going to be able to keep all of these rules. <laughs> sure, we can do that. But we come to God on the basis of Christ's obedience. And that is a done deal. That's much better to come to God on that than on our own. We don't have to try and come on our own. So here's a question for you. Okay, God knew the Israelites would never obey. So why do you think he went ahead and made the covenant if he knew they would break it? He went ahead and had them agree to this. And I think you probably know the answer. You know, just really stop to think about it. But why, why would he go ahead and have them enter into a covenant that he just knew that they would break? exactly right mm -hmm. what it should be so if we hadn't have had the law we never would have known what it should be but we also wouldn't know what terrible sinners we are so we've talked about that already but what the law does for us it gives us a mirror that allows us to see how awful we really are because we can't keep the law so I think, yeah, I think that's exactly it. That the main reason that the Lord did that, is, or had them enter into this relationship, is to showcase their desperate need of a Savior and His unconditional and amazing love to provide one. Because in the end, they would maybe, hopefully, recognize you can't do this and you need a Savior. So it was to highlight their need that they needed a savior and to highlight God's love that he would provide one. And I think that's what you see when you read through the Old Testament. You see that we are inherently not good. Like the world wants to say that we're good. But if you read through the Old Testament, it is very clear, even the good people aren't good. You know, David commits adultery there's nobody in when you have all of these stories that even people of God mess up. Even they need a savior. All of that, I think, is there for us to see we're really not good. And the law is there for us to realize we're not good. We need a savior. And God is really loving to provide one. But how many people, even today, still believe they can get to God by being good? So many people, so many people still would say, oh yeah, I just, you know, I go to church or I give or I do this or that. And they think that they can get to God through certain terms. And I think that's exactly why the Israelites agreed to this too. They believe the same thing. Oh yeah, we can do that. We can get to God through being good, through good works. And so God allowed them to enter into this relationship to prove to them, no, you can't. You need me. And if only we could get people to see that. <laughs> I was talking to uh, Sam Hummerkaus recently just about evangelism. And have you guys heard of The Way of the Master? You heard of that one? If you look The Way of the Master up on YouTube, 
There's some incredible videos to watch. Uh, the Way of the Master. And it's Kirk Cameron, who Craig always calls my boyfriend because I had a crush on him when I used to watch Growing Pains. <laughs> it's Kirk Cameron and Ray Comfort is the other guy's name. And it's just a, it's a great way of sharing the gospel. But what you do is you start with the Ten Commandments. And it's like, and so they've got all these videos on YouTube of interviewing people on the streets, like in California. They'll just go up to them and be like, hey, have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? They're like, oh, I think so. Well, can you name any of them? Uh, no. Okay, well, um, have you ever um, lusted after a woman? And they'll be like, uh, yeah, man, who hasn't? And they're like, okay, well, the Bible says that if you've lusted after a woman, that's the same as committing adultery. Have you ever said a lie? Well, of course I've said a lie. Well, then the Bible says that makes you a liar. Um, have you ever stolen anything? Well, the Bible, that makes you an adulterous lying thief. Like, it just points out to these people that their sin. And it's really interesting to watch the videos because some of them just, you can see it on their face. Like, they finally recognize, oh, well, I'm not as good as I thought I was. So you can see the law working there. Mm -hmm. Other people, they're just stone cold. You know, like, no thanks, man. I'm all done. And then they, you know, they walk away from the situation. But if you want to watch some interesting videos, I highly recommend them. But all that to say, I actually think the way of a master is a great way to evangelize because it, it makes people first face the law and to they recognize they're a sinner and they, they need Jesus. If you don't see your need for Jesus, why are you ever going to come to him? So I think that's why God gave us the old covenant in the first place to help us realize that we do need him. The cool thing is, and this is what the book of Galatians is all about in the New Testament, that the promise of a savior did not come through the law. That the, this law right here, the promise of the savior came before that. That was a promise that came in Genesis 3.15 to um, Adam and Eve, those people. <laughs> like, I was going to say Adam and Sarah. I was like, that's not right. <laughs> God gave them the promise in Genesis 3.15. And then in Genesis 12, he also makes a promise that's based on him, not Abraham, um, that, that a seed would come from him that would bless all the families of the earth. And so that's the promise of the Savior. It was completely separate from the Book of the Covenant. So that overarch, that can, you know, that promise has already been made. It's like flying across the sky as the Book of the Covenant is being made, totally separate. And then once these people are going to realize they can't keep the law, and then we're going to get a Savior that keeps the law, and then that new covenant that keeps going. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. So to summarize this section, I would say. It is those who are willing to enter into a covenant relationship with God that will get to see him. That's what we see here. Those who entered into that covenant relationship with God are the ones who, and I know there were more, but that, I mean, I know that this is only a small selection of Israelites that actually got to see God, but the picture there for us is that those who enter into a covenant relationship with him will get to see him. So I have... Three things, I know you're still writing. I'll pause for a second. I have three principles tonight that all begin with for the Christian. So your first one is for the Christian, believing is seeing. 
For the Christian, believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. They believed, they accepted God's word, they entered into a relationship with him, they took him at his word, his promises that he had made, and then they got to see God. Believing is seeing. But we like to say, I'll believe it when I see it. That's what we often say. I even said it today. Because we're, ha we have, we're trying to build a barn, and we've been on uh, tap to build a barn since last March. We've been waiting almost a year. And this, I know. For the wood? The wood is in our yard. <laughs> I told Craig today, I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's just not even meant to be. He's like, well, now i got a pile of wood in the yard. So we're waiting for this Amish crew to come and start our barn. And at first we thought maybe it'd be like August and it's October and now here we are February and they were supposed to come today. I was all excited that they were going to start today and then Craig called me this morning and I was like don't even tell me that they're not coming. He's like they're not coming and the reason which is really sad why but their driver was killed in a car accident over the weekend so they didn't have a driver. I was like, I was like honey you even talked on the phone to that driver because you know they don't have a phone so you call their driver so they couldn't make it today, which I know I couldn't like. I was like, "Are you serious?" I was like, "Maybe this is a sign. We're really not supposed to build the barn. Like, <laughs> it's just not supposed to happen." But there's a pile of wood in our yard, so it's gonna happen. But supposedly they're gonna come tomorrow. But I said yeah. to him, "I feel terrible for this whole situation." But I was like, "I'll believe it when I see it, like mm -hmm. when I actually get here." And then I thought of Bible study because I was like, "You know what? For the Christian, believing is seeing. It's not the other way around." People like to say, well, if God would just show himself to me, then I'll believe. But that's not how it works. God said, if you believe, then you'll see. Mm -hmm. He actually says in John 20, 29, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So he doesn't show himself first. He wants us to come to him by faith. Mm -hmm. He wants us to believe first and then see and we will see we will write down first john three two and three i think some of this will really encourage you guys tonight first john three two and three says beloved we are god's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is we will see him too. So maybe it'll be the sapphire blue under his feet. I don't know. That'd be amazing. I kept thinking of the sky this week and just thinking like, if I look up at the sky, can I see your feet? <laughs> you know, like just envisioning like God's so big and just like standing up on the sky and just being in charge of everything. Me not having to worry about anything because he's standing up there on the sky. When I see him, I hope that there's food and drink too. I think there will be. I absolutely think there will be. We will definitely feast with him. And that's actually my next point right here. We will see him as he is and we will feast in God's presence. So communion is not just about looking back when we take part in communion. It's also about looking forward. You know, we are to remember, and that is one way that we're to remember, but it's, it's also a picture, I think, of our future with God. 
in the the feast of the the last supper of not the last what am I trying to say the marriage supper of the lamb that we will attend that we will feast in God's presence we will feast we will feast there will be food he's preparing a banquet how cool this could be so good so good I love that I think the important thing, though, there is to remember that we don't have to wait until then to fellowship with him, though. So we can fellowship with him now. Listen to how perfectly Revelation 3.20 fits with this. If we're thinking about feasting, keep in mind, like, just the progression we've seen through chapter 24 here and how they, they believed, they accepted God's word, and then the blood of the covenant, and then he ushers them into his presence. Okay, that's where we're at right now. We are daily in God's presence because we have come under the blood of the covenant. Okay, now listen to how perfectly Revelation 3.20 fits. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, so there's the hearing, and opens the door, the accepting, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me such a cool picture of even what's going on in chapter 24 but also just like that's God's promise like he wants to come in right now and commune with us and eat with us and spend time with us he wants us to be in fellowship with him right now so I really want to encourage you guys not to pass that up just kind of like simmer in that thought a little bit that God wants to fellowship with you right now he wants to fellowship with you tomorrow morning, tonight, you know, wherever it is, in the car, all the time. He just wants to spend time with you. So we don't want to pass up that opportunity for lesser things like we often do. Have to keep at the forefront of our mind, like, this is an amazing opportunity that I have to fellowship with God right now. I don't want to, I don't want to spend it on other stuff, you know, on lesser stuff that's not going to satisfy me. And the more time you spend with the Lord in worship and in his word and prayer, the more you will see him. So you see that progression there too, just that spending time with him. And the more time you spend time with him, the, the more you're going to see him. And you're going to know really who he is. Thoughts on that? What am I missing? What's coming to your mind? Anything? No? We're feeling good about Exodus 24 so far. We've seen that big picture thought of being in the blood of the covenant and then coming in God's presence. And Okay, cool. Let's finish the chapter together. Let's read 12 through 18. Verse 12 says, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment. So you see it like separated again. <clears throat> so I think again... Um, I'm not sure there, actually, because I think he's just referring to the Ten Commandments, but it does say the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. So the the whole idea there is that they should be in good hands. <laughs> but we know what's going to happen while Moses is gone. They're going to make a golden calf. They're not in good hands. 
Verse 15, then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. All right, so my first question is, what did Moses and Joshua do for six days while they were waiting? Did they build a camp? Maybe they built the camp. I don't know. Maybe he started writing. That could be. I didn't think about I mean, that. At some point, Moses has to have time out there to right. write all his yeah. contributions to the Bible. That's true. So maybe he started writing mm -hmm. with Joshua alongside. I don't know. I mean, I just like. I just, that was my question that I wrote down on day one. I was like, what did they do for six days? And then I want to know what Joshua did for another 40. He was up on a mountain by himself, waiting. I don't know. That's my question, if anyone has any other. That's a good, that's a good comment then, so maybe they were writing. Maybe he left Joshua some tasks to do. I don't know. Isn't that a weird thought? Now, one thing I thought of is, I bet God fed Joshua manna. You think about that? And even Moses, did, they, did Moses eat manna in God's presence while receiving all of these instructions for the tabernacle? Probably. I never thought of that before, that manna might have fallen up there for them as well. That's kind of a fun thought. Mm -hmm. Now, what's so cool, though, about chapter 24 is really how it ends. We get another picture here, I think, of, of the progression of the Christian life. Moses meets God in the cloud and enters into God's glory. Does that remind you of anything? I think this gives us a, another spiritual picture, then, of like what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4 where Paul says to Thessalonians, For the Lord himself would ascend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. That is an encouragement. But do you see the picture there of maybe perhaps Moses going up and then meeting God, entering into God's glory by going into a cloud? That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's the, you, if you see this, you can almost see then a full progression as you march through chapter 24. You begin with the, hearing of God's word, the receiving of God's word, the entering into a covenant relationship through the blood of the covenant that allows you then to enter into fellowship with God and commune with him until the day that you go up 
and enter his glory into the clouds. You see that progression through the chapter? I thought that was pretty cool. So just as Moses entered God's glory in the cloud, one day I think we will too. So your second principle for the Christian, God's glory is our destiny. For the Christian, God's glory is our destiny. Now here's the other cool thing. When did Moses enter into that cloud? On the seventh day, the day of rest. I don't think that's coincidence. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and laden and I will give you rest forever. There's a consistency there. You got it, Rosie. That's right. Seventh day, he entered the cloud. Pretty cool. Entered into God's glory, and Jesus said, I will give you rest. It was like he needed it after waiting six days. Right? <laughs> we don't know if he was eating or what he was doing. I know. It's like he was probably exhausted from the way, you know. Yeah. And then to think he's spending 40 days up there receiving all the instructions that we're about to get into. So not only did he just receive the Book of the Covenant and have to like write all that down and process all of that, but now we can laugh at that. She can say that loud. All right, we can let it be. So how do you move on from that? The rest of us all want to know. instruction for the yes, tabernacle. Yes. Can, you Can you imagine that? So I, and it does say that God is going to show him. I think, I think that's actually, is that in your text this week? Uh, chapter 25, verse 8. I don't know if that's where it says it or not, but it says, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst exactly, oh yeah, there it is, exactly as I show you. So I always wondered if God was like giving him examples, like actually showing him how to build everything. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture so you shall make it. So I don't know if I'm correct on this, but I have, I have in the cloud basically Jesus and Moses hanging out together and the master craftsman himself showing him how to build all of this furniture. And Moses taking notes 
writing everything down. Because how could you remember it all? That's right. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Lots of writing. Lots of writing. Say that again. Say that again. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Can we go over that one again? Like, what were the measurements for that again? <laughs> Make sure I get it right. Pretty cool. And crazy stuff at the same time. So my, while my, Moses is up there, he not only gets the instructions for the tabernacle, he gets it for all the furniture, as well as God then instructs him to take up an offering to be able to build this sanctuary. And then God also tells him that he's appointed two men, Bezalel and Ohiliab, and filled them with his spirit in order to help and carry out all of these different tasks and all the different things that they have to make. So this is pretty cool too. Okay. First of all, what, where, where do you think, okay, in Exodus 25, 3 through 7 is where we get the offering. Okay, and God says, you know, have anyone who wants to give, have them bring me all of these different things. And there is a bunch of different stuff they can bring. The contribution is gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet yarns, fine twine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices, onyx stones, all kinds of stuff. All right. Where did they get all this stuff? Yes. Yes. They got it from Egypt. From the plundering of the Egyptians. So you can see God working here. He provided everything they're going to need to build this sanctuary for him. I already read you verse 8. They are to make me a sanctuary. So a sanctuary is a holy dwelling place. Okay, it's not just any dwelling place, but it is to be a holy one. And as far as we know, this is the first time that Moses is hearing anything about this tabernacle. Or anything about this sanctuary. So sometimes I just wonder what's going through his mind. Like, we're going to do what? Like, what, what do you want us to do? <laughs> we're going to build. You're going to actually come and live with us? Okay, that's pretty cool. Uh, and then verse 9, it says that God tells him, you must make this sanctuary according to all that I show you, and it has to be done exactly the way I show you. And we know from a couple verses in Hebrews why it had to be exactly as it was shown to them. Why did it have to be exactly? Any idea? It is a shadow of what's in heaven, mm -hmm. which is also crazy to think about. Like, is there actually a tabernacle up in heaven? <coughs> I mean, we know every piece represents Christ. And so we know that in Christ does dwell the glory of God. So maybe it all just pictures Christ and is a shadow of him, or maybe there is a copy and a shadow of what is actually in heaven. But that's why it was supposed to be exact. Hebrews 9.24 says the tabernacle, tabernacle was merely a model of the true one. I think that's pretty cool. Hebrews 9.24. Now it's always been, and if you did day five, you would have gone through this on page 53, but it's always been God's desire to dwell with us, to dwell with his people, which really amazes me. The fact that he wants to spend any time with us at all. But it's not always been humanity's desire to dwell with God. Yet God's never changed his mind about wanting to be with us. So first he was with Adam and Eve, and then they 
squelched things up for us. So then this is the next time, the tabernacle is the next time you get God dwelling among man. And then after that is the temple. Um, Solomon will actually be the one to build the temple. After that then, Christ tabernacled among us. If you read John, actually uses the word tabernacled. So Christ came and dwelt among us, walked the earth with human feet, and then while he was here, Jesus promised to make his home with us, but not just with us, but in us. He said that the Father and I will come and make our home in you. And so through that progression, we then have become the temple of God through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 3.16. So you see a progression there of God starting with the tabernacle, the temple, and then Jesus, and then the promise of the Spirit, and now actually tabernacling in us. We today are the temple of God. We are a holy dwelling for God. So is it any wonder then that God tells us to be holy as he is holy? Because he needs a holy sanctuary to dwell in. Makes sense. And so if it was so stressed to the Israelites to follow God's instructions exactly as they were given in order to make a holy dwelling for God, how much more so should we follow God's instructions in order to be a holy dwelling for God? You see the necessity for exactness again? If they were to follow God's instructions exactly just to make one, uh, we're to follow God's instructions in order to be one. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. You see that parallel? So for the Christian, this is your last principle for the night. For the Christian, holiness matters. For the Christian, holiness matters. Because we house the Spirit of God. Oh, I wasn't in there. I was in the nursery. Oh, there was so much stuff you could Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. 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 Oh, perfect. This is perfect. Right, remember he did the, when he was talking about the Holy Spirit coming with you within us. I remember him bringing his hands together. Yeah, it was like it was a picture like of. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. We're in sync. God, yes. God's doing something. Oh, yeah. That's really neat. Yeah. I will totally have to go listen now. Mm -hmm. That's neat. For the Christian, holiness matters. Now, thinking about that, I think sometimes we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Like, oh man, I, but I can't live up to that. And I mess up all the time. So if that feels like a lot of pressure for you, like I felt like today I had a terrible attitude over some things. And I just thought, well, you know, I am not. <laughs> Who am I today? And I need to go teach Bible study tonight. But I want to encourage you and I want to encourage myself Think about it this way. Just as God filled Bezalel and Ochiliab with his spirit in order to successfully make his sanctuary, so does God fill us with his spirit in order to help us successfully be his sanctuary. He filled them with his spirit to make his sanctuary. He fills us so that we can be that holy sanctuary. Exodus 31.3, if you jump there. This is where God is giving Moses the instructions for Bezalel and Ohiliab. 
And in verse 3, he says to Moses, I have filled him, Bezalel, with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship. Now, your Bible could read it a little bit differently if you have a different version. But he says four things there that God filled these men with. I just mentioned the first one. He filled them with the Holy Spirit. What else does it say in that verse again? He filled them with wisdom, wisdom understanding, understanding or um, knowledge, and then ability. Yes. Now, here's what's cool. I'm going to read to you Colossians 1, 9 through 11, and see if you don't hear some of those same things. Colossians 1, 9 through 11 says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work I see that as ability you see all those same things here in the New Testament God has given us those same things in order to accomplish his will I thought that was pretty cool Yes. So just as he filled Bezalel and Ohiliab and gave them his spirit and wisdom and understanding and ability, he has not left us hanging either. He calls us to godliness, right? But then he gives us everything we need to accomplish it, which is what 2 Peter 1.3 says. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He has not left you out to dry. He has given you what you need to accomplish his will. So then this led me to that question that I texted to all of you guys. Because I think the big mountain can sometimes feel like, yeah, but how do I, how do I get that equipping? Like if God is going to equip me, I just, I don't always feel equipped. You know, how do I get that equipping. So how, how do you personally, I would love to know this, or we can just say in general, how do we allow Christ to equip us? We've just seen that he does and he's promised to, but how do you experience that? Doesn't that feel like a jump sometimes? Like we have to get there somehow. I think a big part of it is recognizing what your gift is and be willing to step out and, yeah. and apply it like you. I mean, yeah. your gift is teaching clearly mm -hmm. the Bible and you've stepped out and you're, you're teaching the Bible and you're helping women learn mm -hmm. more about God's word. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you're a great example of it, I feel like. Well, thank you. Being aware of what the gift is mm -hmm. and then being willing to step out and, and mm -hmm. use that gift. Mm -hmm. so. Well, thank you. I will say that I all the time get, the, um, and I just say this to encourage you guys, because if you're feeling like a nod in a certain direction, like God is calling me to do this, I get doubts all the time. Like I struggle with doubts still all the time that 
For example, I could go home tonight and think, there's only eight people in the room or nine people in the room. Like, and the enemy would want to use that to make me think, see, nobody wants to come to your Bible study. So even I get plagued by those things. So you can't let that stuff stop you guys. You know, hear what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yes, I and I thank you, Amy. I really appreciate it's that. True, and I I know that this is where God has gifted me and and so I do try and it's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort, you know, it's a commitment. Sometimes it's a sacrifice, but I get so much joy from doing it. And yet, I still struggle a lot and still get like I I still feel like the devil's arrows will come at me weekly when I'm doing this. You know, like, oh, see blah, 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 you're not very good at this, you know, just like all, but it's not about me, I think that's what I have to remember, it's really about Jesus, and it's about him, all the way around, so, I don't know, maybe you're feeling like you're called to something, maybe you feel like God's been calling you to something, but you're a little bit afraid to step out, I think Amy's exactly right, just like, one way to experience that equipping is to just go for it, and to try it, and to see how, you know, experience that from the Lord. I do feel often, in some way, the Holy Spirit when I'm up here. And it is addicting. <laughs> that part is, is, I love that part. And that's, that's pretty cool. So, and there have been times where um, someone has come up to me later and said, I loved it when you said blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I never said that. But what's so cool is like the Holy Spirit was either, it was saying it, he was saying it to them, whatever I was saying, I don't know. That's one of the coolest parts of this. But uh, anyway, I would encourage you guys like just to, to step out in that. But I think there's also just an equipping of, of daily use, like just how do I have godliness daily? You know, how do I... How do I respect my husband when I don't feel like respecting my husband? Or how do I be a good mom when I don't feel like being patient any longer? Or, you know, all those things. How do I go to work and have a good attitude today? Because I really don't feel like it. And yet, you know that God has called you to go to work and have a good attitude. <laughs> or God has called you to respect your husband or to take care of your children. Like, you know these things. How do you experience that equipping? I think it's simple, and yet I think it can be so hard for us at the same time. Ask God to help you, and then when he, I think sometimes we like try to, in other circumstances, almost like tell the Holy Spirit to shut up. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think it's just within those difficult moments, listening when God responds, and the Holy Spirit is our helper. So you know, relying on that, and the more you do that, the more you can do that. that I, yes, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, and it seems like such a simple thing to ask, right? Mm -hmm. And yet, how often am I struggling with something, and then I realize I've not been asking for help? Mm -hmm. And everything can turn around on a dime if I just stop mm -hmm. and I ask for help. And I'm not just like, and I think this is an important thing to clarify is you're not asking God to equip you to run a full marathon when you've never even ran one mile in your life. Like you're, 
What you're asking God to equip you to do is accomplish his will. That's what you're seeking the equipping for, and that's when you'll experience it. So you know the famous verse, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse gets thrown out of context all the time because you can just use it for whatever you want. You know, I can make a million dollars through Christ who strengthens me. But if that is not God's will for you, then no, you cannot do that through Christ who strengthens you. The whole essence of that verse is you can do what God calls you to do through Christ who strengthens you. You can be godly. You can do the hard thing that's the right thing through Christ who strengthens you. It does all go back to him, and I really do think it goes back to asking. When you first asked the question, I pulled up James 2 on, where, where the first part of that is about trials, which mm. I also think is we grow through the trials. But yeah. James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. I love that. Not only is God a generous giver, but he says right there, ask. Mm -hmm. Just ask. I was struggling with something last week, and once I realized, I was kind of preparing all of this, you know, and then I was like, oh, yeah, I need to ask for God's equipping. And then I had to continue to ask for God's equipping, because it just, what I was struggling with was just like, I just, oh, I wasn't getting it. But I kept asking, and before I knew it, I felt like the Lord was equipping me. So sometimes I think it's not just one ask and you're done. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, in a, it's a continuous reliance. Mm-hmm. Lord, I can't do this. I need your strength to do this. Mm-hmm. Five minutes later, Lord, help me do this. Five minutes later, Lord, you've got to help me do this. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever it, whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah, Go ahead. You're saying you have to continue to have a Yes. 